Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? De Niro B here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today I'm here with Brian Clayton. Brian is the CEO and co-founder of Green Pal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber of lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 100,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting GreenPal, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., which is one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. I'm very excited about this conversation. As a matter of fact, Brian has a fully remote team. Let's get right into it. All right, man. So thanks a lot for being on the Remote CEO Show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Ryan, like I do with all my guests, I really want to understand what they were doing before they were starting their businesses. So tell us a bit more about your story. How did you go? How did it all get started for you? Yeah. So right now I'm working on a company called Green Pal, which is kind of like the Uber for lawn mowing. So homeowner needs to get their lawn mowed rather than calling around on Craigslist or Facebook. They just download the app and they can get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service in less than a couple of minutes and pay and schedule them right through the app. Been at this business for eight years. We're an eight-year overnight success. Several hundred thousand people using the app. We're doing $20 million a year in revenue. And so we've just been grinding on building this marketplace from scratch since 2013. And uh, before that, actually, believe it or not, I had a lawn mowing business. I started cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and put myself through college mowing yards. And and I just little by little grew that little lawn mowing business into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, I, I got it over 150 employees, over $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, uh, the business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And so I was kind of, uh, I was kind of solving my own problem when I started the second company, Green Pal. I saw how inefficient the, the lawn mowing business worked. I saw how difficult it was for homeowners to get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service. And so I was kind of, kind of solving my own problem. And, and so I've spent 20 years in one industry, uh, started out as like a blue collar entrepreneur and then kind of had to reinvent myself as a tech entrepreneur. And so I've seen this one industry from kind of every angle you can see it from. That's super cool, man. Listen, I wanted to ask you something about passion because I know a lot of people want to start a business and say, you know, like you got to lead with passion. Now, getting in the uh, landscaping business, I was wondering, you just said that you you, were, you got started in the landscaping business when you were very young. Were you doing it out of passion or it's just because you saw an opportunity and then you kind of liked what you were doing and you scaled from there? Yeah, I think I think uh, the reason for being in business and the and the the fire in your belly, so to speak, for for wanting to get into the game and and 
and start your own business from scratch. I think that can be dynamic. I think that can change over time. I think for me, when I first got started, I just really, I started out as a young age and I, and I didn't, something about when I mowed that first yard and, and I didn't have to ask my parents for money and I realized I could just work as hard as I wanted to work and do the stuff I wanted to do and buy the things I wanted to buy. And like that stuck with me for, for many years. And, and then I started noticing like, wow, I, I have more money in my pocket than my friends do. And, and uh, I can like buy a better car than they have. And I can uh, mm-hmm. like live in a better apartment than they have. And, and I can do, I have more freedom because I have this business. And so that was a very real thing. And so, and then, and then for little by little, I started, I started like noticing, well, well, wow, you know, I can really make something of myself in this business. I can really make something of myself uh, growing this company. And so then it was a very personal thing. And then, and then as I was growing that business, like year five or six, I had five or 10 employees. I then began to realize, okay, this business is more than just me. It's, it's about the people that work here. It's about, it's about their families. It's about their livelihoods. It's about creating opportunities for them to prosper. And so then it became bigger than myself. And so then that was my, my purpose. And then, and then as time went on like that, that kind of evolves as you grow a company. I I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about starting your own business is that it can, it can cause you to evolve. It can cause you to grow as a human being and cause you to, to be wiser, humbler, smarter. Certainly my companies have, have extracted that from me. And, uh, and so like, as time goes on, I think it changes. And I think, I think like follow your passion, I think is bad advice because I think if everybody truly followed their passion, it would, it probably wouldn't be something that, was monetizable. And so I, th- I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think, po- I think passion is bad. I think follow your passion is bad advice, but, but I think your business can be uh, the purpose of your life. It can lend you purpose. It can be the reason why you got to get out of bed and just crush it every day. It can be the reason why you have to grow and learn and read books you would never read. And it, it could be the reason why you have to level up and it can be the purpose uh, of your life. It certainly has been for me. And so I think don't follow your passion. I think to have an important life, to have a meaningful life, it needs to be full of purpose. And I think your business, your company, your project can be the source of that purpose. A hundred percent. It's funny you say that because, you know, I don't think, I, I mean, like I, I can't really say, but I don't think that you woke up in the morning once and you're like, I'm super passionate about mowing lawns. I'm going to get started. I mean, like it, it grew on you. I guess as a business grew, like you said, there was a lot of different things that were happening in your life. You had more money, you had more freedom, and that that turned into your purpose. Uh, is that yeah, correct? I mean, yeah, yeah, I never never wanted to be a lawn guy my whole life. I, but I tell you what, I did love. I loved winning. I loved uh, growing. I loved uh, building a company with with yeah. people that I like to work with. That was a lot of fun. That was my purpose. And, yeah. and I, and I, you know, in the early days I had a chip on my shoulder. I just wanted to have the biggest, most successful company in my industry and in my market. And I set out for like 10 years to do that. And, and I was able to do that. And then once I did that, then it, then I kind of noticed I was plateauing. I was like, okay, I've got this thing over eight figures. It's profitable. We we're doing well. What's the next set of challenges? What's the next chapter of my, of my story? And uh, that's what prompted me to start thinking about selling the company. And uh, that took two years to get done. And then I got it sold and I was, and I thought, okay, now what I need the next project. I need the next mm-hmm. mountain to climb. And that's what set the stage for building my second company, Green Pal. 
Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you about staffing your your business, and you know, like um, at the very beginning when you were doing um, uh, launch on your own, I'm assuming that uh, you know, you you were pretty proud of the work you did. And then when you started hiring people, was it hard to give you know to give up the control? And how did you feel about hiring people and, and letting them do the job and hoping you know that they were going to do as good a job as you used to? It's tough. You know, you, the first, like one of the hardest things of any entrepreneur's journey is hiring their first employee, their second employee, the third employee, because effectively, like when you hire your first employee, you're like doubling your business in once in mm -hmm. one decision. Like you, like yeah. you literally, like that's one of the hardest things to go through. And uh, it can help to like, you know, hire somebody part-time or a freelancer or somebody kind of help you on weekends or whatever. But, but effectively when you jump off the cliff and hire that employee, you're taking on the responsibility to making sure you can meet payroll every week. It's a really tough part. And I remember, I remember that very clearly. I was very scared and, and I just, I, I was, I was, uh, I was, I guess, uh, concerned that 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 there would be times I couldn't have enough business to make payroll and there there were times where my helper would make more money than I was but I always made sure I never missed payroll and 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 that was something that I carried me through like 15 years was like that was the most important thing to me and so yeah that's a tough part and and so I think something that can help new entrepreneurs new business owners get through that is to is to like first read the book the e-myth by Michael Gerber that book can help you think through systems and processes that you need to have in place and that your employee is going to work through those processes and work through those routines rather than, than you just micromanaging them and, 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 yes. and hoping that it all works. Um, and so like that, that's something that can help. Uh, and, in, and it's something that's always stuck with me. I heard this advice a long time ago is inspect what you expect. And so, mm -hmm. and so as you're going through the motions of hiring your first one, two, three employees, you really do have to inspect what they're doing, not like head over their shoulder and micromanage them, but you do have to follow up and make sure that if you sent them onto a customer's property to do a job, you have to follow up and make sure that they did it right. And if they didn't, then you need to not only like fix it and, 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 and figure out, you know, you, you need not only like fix the problem, but you need to like back up five steps and say, okay, why didn't they do it right? Why didn't they know to do yeah. it right? What broke down in my little process? Uh, do I, I need to work on the training? I need to work on a checklist. I need to work on uh, some sort of QA process. So like really trying to diagnose what's breaking down in, 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 the, in the routines inside of your business, rather than just going through the same problems over and over every day, like really try to figure out the root cause of these issues. And, and over a five, 10 year period of time, you can build a little, a little systemized humming business around you. That's super interesting, man. And also here at the Remote CEO, we're all about scaling businesses in remote fashion and hiring and staffing your business so that you can spend time doing the things that really move the needle in your business and let everyone else handle the rest. So my question to you right now is, first off, do you have any, you know, how remote is your business, so to speak? And what, if you do have some remote parts of the business that, that you're hiring, or simply maybe you're away from the office, what do you find are the hardest things that you need to deal with uh, when your staff is not right there beside you? It's a really good question. You know, when I, my first business was very blue collar, very in the trenches, very hands-on, hand-to-hand combat. It was, it was the exact antithetical opposite of what a remote business is. <laughs> you had yeah. to be there. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I spent 15 years doing that. So I, I knew when I wanted to start my second company, 
I, I wanted to, to build something different. I wanted to build something that was systemized and that maybe I could step away from at some point. You know, I wasn't chained to the, to the shop. And so uh, I thought, okay, well, I just spent 15 years building this thing. It was 150 people, really tough. Now I want to do something easy and something easier. So I'm going to build a software company. And boy, I really didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> like, like building a software business is 10 times harder than building a traditional type of business. Because because a lot of times when you're building software, you're you're inventing something from scratch that does not yet exist. Yeah. And so that's really hard. You're going through like this customer discovery process of trying to figure out where the pain is and where you can solve problems and, and make money doing it. And that could take years. And so I didn't know any of that when I got started. I was very naive. And luckily, I guess I was naive because that's kind of what seduced me into the game. So looking back, no regrets. But that took me like took us like three years to kind of like digest that and really understand, OK, yeah, not only are you building software and you're building a systemized business, but you're also inventing a brand new product that doesn't User exist. experience and everything else. Yeah, everything just from imagine. ground yeah. up. Yeah, and, and so like that just takes a long time. And so. So if you want to build a fully remote business, on the one hand, yeah, it, it, once you get it going, it can be easier to run. But on the other hand, it is an order of magnitude harder to get started than just starting a traditional style business. Like, like if you wanted to go start a, a construction company or a home remodeling business or a cleaning company or open up a coffee shop or a hair salon, those are very traditional, straightforward businesses that you, you kind of have a known set of things that you have to execute yep. on it. And you can look at competitors and just do what they're doing better and, and, and get it going easier than, okay, I want to build a brand new SaaS product that does not yet exist. Like it's so much harder to do the latter. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. I think a lot of people like, look at me, I'm in year eight of starting this company and, and they look at me and they're like, man, I really want to do what you do. And, uh, and because you can travel and you don't, you know, you, you can, <laughs> you're not chained to your desk. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I'm not going to lie. It's nice, but it takes a long time to get there. Um, and so, and so that said, yeah, our company is fully remote. We have 24 employees that work in the company. Uh, my, my two co-founders and I do work out of the same office, but I, I do travel a lot. I travel probably six, seven months out of the year all over the world just because it's my passion and, and I'm able to run the business from anywhere. And so, for me, you know, in year eight, I'm able to do that. In year one, two, and three, it was, it, we just locked ourselves in an office for six, seven days a week until we figured it out. But now that we've got revenue going, we've got a good team around us, we're able to kind of do that fully remote. But in the first few years, it was just my co-founders and I, there was no remote team. It was just us. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so, so I think it's something you got to have to grow into and like grind your way towards <laughs> Makes sense. So I want to stick to uh, the remote theme here. And I wanted to ask you when you scaled uh, Green Pal, what was one of the first roles that you said, you know what, this is going to be perfect for hiring remote members? And, uh, and how did you find it? I mean, like you said, you came from a blue collar background. So I guess that uh, the first hire in your in your business, uh, Green Pal, that was remote was your first remote work experience. Um, how do you find it? And what role was that? Yeah. So when you're, when you're building out a team, when you're building a company, learning how to delegate and delegate effectively is one of the best things that you can, you can learn. Like if once you can figure out how to package up what it is you're trying to do and delegate it to somebody who's better at it than you are and pay them a fair uh, salary to do it, that's like a big like power up. It's a big fulcrum for your business. 
So delegate, delegate fast. But on the other hand, uh, don't delegate too soon. <laughs> so that we made the mistake, <laughs> we made the mistake in the, in year one, we, my two co-founders and I started the business. We were like, okay, we want to build the Uber for lawn care. It, back then Uber didn't really exist. Um, so, but we knew we wanted yeah. to build an app where you could order a lawn mowing service. But the, well, there's one little problem with that. We didn't know how to code. None of us knew how to build software. Uh, so we were thinking, okay, well, all we need to do is we just need to pay a shop, a development shop to build what we think GreenPal should be. And then we'll just be off and running. And we did that. We pulled together like $150,000 between the three of us. And uh, this was money like out of 401ks, credit cards, like lines of credit. Uh, it wasn't like I plowed my proceeds from my first business into the second one. I locked yeah. all of that down. And, and so I like the second business had to stand on its own. And so this was like really, really like money that we kind of scraped together. We paid the shop to build what we thought GreenPal should be. And, uh, and then like took them eight months, launched it into a total flop total failure Whoa. like it didn't have computers <laughs> it needed like it was really hard to use uh lawn care services didn't like to use it and so then in turn when homeowners hired them like the magic of pushing a button and getting your grass cut like didn't actually happen very often yeah. and so it was really painful we had to scrap the whole thing and start from scratch and so we were like, okay, well, you know, my two co-founders quit their jobs. It was like a burn the boats kind of situation. Like the only thing we could do was just move forward. And so yep. we, we, we thought, okay, well, let's just learn how to code. Let's, let's learn how to build software. It's, it can't be impossible. There's millions of people that can do it. I know we can. And so my co-founder went to a boot camp and I like took online classes and we learned how to do just barely enough to hack together the version of green pal that sh that we knew would work and we just kept grinding on that over and over again for like three years until we got pretty damn good and then we made the mistake of we waited too long to delegate we yeah. we, we, uh, we made the mistake in the early days of delegating too soon because we didn't know what the hell we were doing and we didn't know how to how to delegate through stewardship we delegated yeah. through uh abjuration. we said oh i don't know how to do that you handle it and that's a that's a recipe for disaster and yeah. so we we had to learn how to do this stuff get like 80 20 good at it and then we made the mistake of holding on too long and then delegate soon soon enough and then that, that cost us a couple of years but to your original question once we figured out how to build software, figured out what the product needed to look like, then it was like a match made in heaven. We were able to get really good engineers from different corners of the world to work on the project with us who were just 10 times, 20 times better at this stuff than we were because they had been doing it for a decade. We for, had been it's it's what they do. Yeah, for a living. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't know how to do product design. Let us do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're the ones like talking with customers. We're the ones meeting with vendors. We're the ones in the trenches, like face to face, talking with users. Let us design the product. Let, but let's 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 hire really good developers to build it and bring it bring the vision to life. So that was like a match made in heaven. And 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 so it's not like oh okay, well the point of the story is outsource development no not necessarily because if you do that too quick you'll you'll piss away a lot of time and money and 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 i've got the scars to prove that for sure so basically moral of this amazing story is that uh start hiring when you're when you can at least speak the language and understand what people need to do because if you do it too soon and you have no idea what people are doing you're going to be left uh behind and, and and of course like the team members that don't really have you know leadership that can tell them what to do or what not to do just 
kind of going to do what they what they want. <laughs> exactly. And uh, you yeah. don't know what to expect. You don't know who's good, who's not. You don't know if you're getting ripped off or if you're getting stuff done. I mean, it's just like you're shooting in the dark. And yeah, I mean, either it's one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to fail and waste a bunch of time and money, or you're going to get lucky. And your chances of getting lucky are pretty slim. So, so I mean, because for every good developer there is out there on Upwork or, or Toptal or, or, or any of these online uh, freelancing platforms, for every good developer there is, there's a thousand that suck. And so yeah. it's like trying to avoid that, that minefield and getting somebody good on your team who's a good fit, who's executing, you kind of have to know 80-20 what you're doing to, to get there. I feel, I feel you, man. I, I have a digital marketing agency. It took me so long to find the three, four individuals who are actually, you know, doing a killer job at Facebook right. and Google advertising. And then, like you said, it, it's, it's like influencers now. Everybody in, in, in their grandma mother is an influencer and everybody and their grandma is there it's a developer and 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 whatnot so you really need to understand what you're hiring for and and have those key performance indicator in mind right like for example uh for you what would be one of the things that you say you know uh it's a red flag for a developer now that you've learned uh after years of working with developers yeah i mean there's so many ways that i can quickly tell if somebody's good or not i mean the first thing is is uh, if they're a front end engineer, when they when they turn out the 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 finished job, it needs to look exactly like the design. It needs to look okay. exactly like the PSD or or the or the Marvel prototype mm-hmm. or whatever. It needs to look exact like indistinguishable, and yeah. and it might seem like a little thing, but your hacks like they don't know that, and like they're just looking at it and eyeballing it and getting it as close as they can and. And that's okay for like hobbies and side projects and stuff like that. But like, if you're trying to build a world-class product, it's gotta have that shine. It's gotta have that, that, that pixel perfect execution. And like the experienced developer just comes out the gate and knows that they've built enough mm-hmm. projects. They've worked on enough high profile projects. They've worked with enough product managers where they just know that like when they turn it over to you, you shouldn't have to like point out all of these little details. And so that's just one thing like, Every time I've hired, you know, we've got 23 now. Every time I've hired somebody, like I can just tell usually in the first week if they're going to work or not, just based on the the shine of that of the pixel perfect uh, execution of, of the front end of the project. Um, and, and, and that goes all the way down to like to designers, to back end programmers, to content creators. Like you'll develop these like these these this like sixth sense almost. Um, based on just trial and error of working with people who aren't so good and working with people who are good. Uh, and you'll understand very quickly if somebody is, 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 is just is good at what they do or if they're overrepresenting themselves. Or a lot of times, too, you don't think you got to be careful of uh, when, you're, when you're working with remote people all over the world. I've seen this happen. It's happened to us where you'll hire a freelancer and not even know it, but they're just really farming it, farming it out to like seven different freelancers. Yes. And so, and so that's so frustrating. You got to call them undercover. Ways. I call them undercover agencies. <laughs> that's what they are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like you have to, you have to figure out ways to police for that, whether it be screen sharing or, or just nuances and conversation and stuff. Cause that's going to happen and you got to figure that out. And it's just stuff just comes from experience working with remote people. But, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you from Nashville, Tennessee, one of the best cities in the world, but we're not known for our depth 
in in engineering talent so it's not like i can sit here and like trip over five engineers at the local starbucks we don't have a whole lot of engineers here mm -hmm. so i i i am so luckily i'm able to hire the best around the world and get done what we need to get done makes total sense i want to ask you a question about how strict you are about time um i mean like i i guess like you start in the morning and and you end in late afternoon or whatnot and uh some of your engineers are not in your city like you said and probably in different time zones so how do you deal with uh, the fact that some of your staff members are not in the same time zone do they need to abide to your time zone or you say you know i'm the kind of person that says uh as long as the job gets done well i don't really mind when you do it yeah if i'm hiring a guy or gal who's really good and they're making 50, 100, 150, $200 an hour. Um, I want them to be comfortable. I want them to be awake. I want them to be uh, on, I really want them to work on their terms to where they feel like they can produce the best, the best work. So I don't want to constrain them to work during my daylight hours when it's 2 a.m. for them. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm optimizing for, I want them to be comfortable where they can put out the best work and then, and then leave them alone. And then, and then what I call is like every morning at like five 30 in the morning, I'll get up. And then, and then I have like a really hardcore, like power hour where all of my developers, all of my people around the world have worked basically their entire day and they're turning in uh, their, their, their production to me and mm. my co-founder and another person at the end of their day. And at the beginning of my day and, and like I get more done in, in that hour, hour and a half than I do the entire day because mm. they're there, they are at their terminal. I'm at, I'm at, you know, my, my terminal and we're able to communicate and just wrap up. Okay. Here's what we've done. Here's the testing. Okay. Here's what we want to see happen moving forward. And it's like, just in that one little hour a day, we're able to overlap uh, times and really it works out good. Cause like, I don't need to be breathing over your neck all day long. Uh, I really just need to wrap up with you for an hour every day. So it's at the end of your day, beginning of my day, and it works out really perfectly. And, and it kind of keeps me out of their hair. They can work, you know, at their speed, do their best work. And then we can like, we can coordinate it like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning for me, which is like the end of their day. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to ask you one last question, and it's actually about how many hours you, uh, in, in a perfect world, of course, things come up, but in a perfect world, you're setting up this business to work how many hours a week as a CEO? Yeah, you know, I think that I think that's fluid. Um, in, and I think in the early days when you're building a tech product or a tech-based uh, uh, service or, or anything that's related to technology, I think I think you're usually inventing something from scratch. You're usually creating a new user experience that doesn't happen. Uh, and so I think in the first year, two, three, four years, you're going to have to grind hard. I think yeah. for me, at least, you know, it was six, seven days a week, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, uh, mm -hmm. paying myself rice and beans, like many weeks, not paying myself any, anything. Um, and, uh, and so it's like, like grinding through that cold start when you're building like a remote based mm -hmm. tech product, I think it's table stakes as time yeah. goes on. Once you get some momentum and you get a team around you and you're making some money and you can like make money and put money to work, I think you can like pull, step off the gas just a little bit and maybe, you know, just, just manage the team. And in, in, in many days, you know, like I work less than an hour in many days, some days mm -hmm. I work five hours, some days I work 10, but it's really kind of just what I, how much I want to do. 
because I've got a good team around me now. In the early days, it was just me hacking together code, me writing blog posts, me doing backlinking for SEO, me managing Facebook <laughs> ads, and like not just like my two co-founders all like being one-armed paper hangers too. And like, and it's because we didn't have the money to pay anybody anything. We had to like hustle this stuff together from scratch. And those were seven-day working weeks. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. a vacation for for five years. And so I think every entrepreneur has to go through that early phase. You got to run hard. And then as time goes on, once you've got a good team doing this stuff better than you can, then you can like ease back and work three or four really good hours a day and, and still grow. Awesome. Awesome. That's really, really what I, I always hear. Like I've been doing that myself with my business. And uh, now I actually wanted to ask you what's, what's exciting, uh, co- what's coming up that's exciting that you want to share with us. Yeah, so Green Pals, yeah. you know, we're seven, eight years in, several hundred thousand people using this app. You know, we're all over. We're in every major city in the United States. Um, and so now we're at a point now where we're figuring out international. We're figuring out Canada, UK, Australia. How do we how do we launch this thing in international markets? So that's the next frontier for us. Um, and that's a whole new set of challenges that I quite frankly, don't know how to tackle right now. So that's the next frontier. <laughs> that's exciting. We're, we're going to learn all kinds of stuff doing that. That's super cool, Brian. I just wanted to uh, ask you, where can people find you online so they can know more about you and your business? Yeah, so anybody uh, in the United States listening to this doesn't want to cut their own grass. You can just download GreenPal in the (laughs) App Store or Play Store. Uh, Anybody wants to reach me, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I've been hanging out there a lot more lately. All right, awesome, Brian. It was great having you on the show and I'm looking forward to having you back once you scale outside of uh, the United States. We're from Canada, so if you're there, we're definitely going to be your clients. (laughs) Awesome, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed it. (laughs) All right, Brian, bye. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section. And to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again. And I will talk to you again soon.